thank you so much, all those on the platform. We do appreciate our worship team. Uh, and we had just a fantastic edge last night. And, uh, I mean, just the place was crawling with visitors, people getting saved. And I really want to encourage you to keep bringing people. I mean, we outreach for it. And we know God honors that labor. But primarily, uh, the way people come to those is people that invite people. That's what happened last night. I was dumbfounded. It was powerful. Um, and so that Edge ministry, we're very committed to that. It's, it's valid. It's a place that God is growing up preachers as well as ministry. Um, and there, there are a lot of people in this church, especially the younger folks in the church that are involved in that. And, and it's been my commitment since day one is I love being a part of that. Uh, to see that flourish, and I'm very pleased with what God is doing, but I want to really say that what makes it is when people get saved. Amen. And so really, let's let's stay committed to that. Matthew 12 and Philippians 2. I'm going to go to both those places in Scripture. Matthew 12 and Philippians 2. Now, there's a, a phrase that has been incorporated as a motto. Uh, it's It's been taken in different places, different purposes. Uh, It was used early in American history by founding father John Dickinson and Patrick Henry. Patrick Henry is well known for his speech, give me liberty or give me death. John Dickinson, a politician from Pennsylvania, known as the penman of the Declaration of the Independence They both adopted this phrase, and it says, United we stand, divided we fall. Now, now these were men that understood the power of unity as a nation. Okay, And and we can't fully appreciate all that they were trying to accomplish in the founding of our nation because it's been so perversely distorted in today's political arena. Uh, but, but they understood the power of unity as a nation. And today, we live in a very divided nation. And this is purposed, by the way. This is an agenda. The division that's at work in our nation has been purposed. As we see the racial tensions accelerating, as we see economic division, when I say that, uh, meaning that politicians have caused a great divide, a class warfare, an envy, of the upper class and the lower class concerning economy. There's a growing patriotic division, and this is being more and more seen now uh, in the propagators, which are the athletes now that are no longer unifying during patriotic presentations during their sporting events. You know, to be an American has nothing to do with race or color of skin. And if people say that they're racist themselves because it's not true. But, you know, in, in my day as a kid, we, we went to class and we recited the Pledge of Allegiance before we started our day. This was a unifying time as young American kids. We can still go to sporting events and we will stand for the singing of our national anthem, which... If you know about it, it it's meaningful to what we stand for and the, the unity of a nation. The flag, which represents our freedom that we stand for. And, and so there is, there is, is, but is under duress today, patriotic unity 
and a common respect for the price of the freedom of America. Now, this is not going to be a political type sermon. I'm just trying to launch something. And it's one thing to proclaim deep division that's taking place in our nation. And it certainly has deep consequences, and we're seeing that today. But it's another thing when we're talking about the church and God's people. You know, other than prayer, voting, and being an active witness for Jesus Christ, we can do little to change the cultural trends that are dividing our country today. And certainly the greatness of America is in jeopardy. Division is tearing America apart at the seams. And I'm telling you, it's a spirit because I am not racial when it comes to... I've never... I've always grown up as the minority in all the places I've lived in all my life. So I have no problem with diversity of races at all. But yet I can find myself... Making these arguments because this is this is what's being thrown out there in the political arena. And they're trying to get you and I to be against one another. That's what they want. My concern, though, and where I wield influence, is with you, God's people, this morning. Our strength is in our unity. And whether that be the strength of the church or the strength of the home and the family... The Bible says in Psalms 133.1 how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And I want to preach a sermon called United We Stand, Divided We Fall. And I want to preach out of two uh, portions of Scripture. First, let's look at Matthew 12.25. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Every city or house divided against itself will not stand. Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. Fulfill my joy, being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves, Let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. United we stand, divided we fall. I want to first look at the call to unity. So so the book of Philippians, this is what got this sermon inspired as I was reading through it the other day. It wasn't even my normal reading, Bible reading program. It was just, uh, I was thinking of something, looking up a scripture, and I got caught up and just read the whole book. And I thought, wow, what, what a call, what a, what a presentation of unity. And so this, this book has a theme of unity to it. And our text is only a short portion of all that is spoken of concerning unity and God's people. Now, when I speak of unity, don't mistake it for unity across denominational lines. You know, denominational lines are there because without them, we could never get anything accomplished for God. So you have to go back and understand how all of these begin. Yeah, you can say, oh, but 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 it means we're all separated. We can't be unified together as one. It's impossible. 
And so at least through denominations, you can find unity in whatever you're following and committed to, whether it be right or wrong, but you're unified, at least somewhat. And denominations in religion promote unity for whatever that denomination stands for. Major disagreements took place in vision statements and doctrinal statements and overall purpose uh, that created tension points so intense uh, that it required a dividing. But let me hone it down to where we live, and that is in the congregational setting. Because there's a very clear call to unity among congregations. In our case, we're a movement that goes beyond individual congregation. We are a fellowship. But think about what Paul says here in verse 2. Fulfill my joy... Being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. Now, we need to consider what's being promoted here. This this term, like-minded, means unity of sentiment, opinion, or plan. Now, what this means is not that we're always going to agree and never disagree, because that would be a foolish thought. It's impossible but that we are all on the same page when it comes to the purpose of the church, the vision of the church, and we're all a part of and fully committed to the great work of the salvation of souls. You know, at the end of the day, it has to be about souls. If it's about all of our petty issues and offenses and all that, it's a major diversion. But at the end of the day... Amen. We are on board with the vision statement that is before us and the souls that need people to commit to them. And this is what this word like-minded is referring to. And then we have this term, having the same love. In other words, love to the same purpose and love for one another That this love will overcome differences. Now think about it because there's a scripture and there's a couple of them like this in the Bible. And I'm going to read it and I want you to think of it in this context. Proverbs 10 verse 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. Now, that has been taken by many and misappropriated that somehow the love of God and he Let's, you can do whatever, and it's, you know, he, doesn't, he overlooks your sin. That's not what it's talking about. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sin. Now, you have to interpret this based upon what the Bible says collectively about sin and about what God thinks of sin. I'm not going to go through that for you, but that's the way I'm interpreting it. And so think about this because it's speaking more relationally. That love is willing to forgive sins committed against you and not hold it or overlook it rather than allowing it to create anger or hatred. The word covers or to cover means to clothe in secrecy. And again, it has to be interpreted based upon all that the Bible says about this The conclusion is that this is referring to relational tensions, relational violations, that you don't go making them common knowledge among everyone, 
But you look to conceal so that you can resolve and not make it worse by spreading the problem. And so this is what he's talking about. And it goes back to this call that he's making in Philippians about love and the place of love in the Christian life. Then we have this phrase being of one accord and one mind, which literally means of one soul or having your souls joined together. So think about that's a profound thought because that means as a church with all of our differences, with all of our opinions, likes, dislikes, disagreements, prejudices, that at the end of the day, we're still linked together as one. Think about that. We're not all scattered all over, as the Bible calls them, schisms in the body. And, and this group's at odds with this group, and that group's at odds with this group, and, and all over the place. But being of one accord and one mind, and this word here, used here, does not occur anywhere else in the New Testament. And it means union of soul, or acting together as if one soul actuated them or caused you to act in a certain way. That at the end of the day, uh, we're Christians and we're going to act like Christians. And if everybody has that mindset, guess what? It works. It works. So what we're looking at is a biblical theme and calling. So I'm going to quote a few places in Philippians because this is what captured my attention was the call of unity in this book. And in Philippians 1.27, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I, am, I hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. So think about this. This is an obvious promoting of unity based upon the purpose of the gospel. We can have opinions about sports team, and everybody knows what I think of the Cowboys. It really doesn't matter at the end of the day, right? It doesn't matter. I got your attention at least. These are the Cowboys. I get everybody's attention. Love them or hate them. Amen. (laughs) But it's the purpose of the gospel that unifies us. And he says that this is conduct worthy of the gospel. Now, that really captured me because we can then say the opposite, that when you're not maintaining unity, you're functioning in conduct that is not worthy of the gospel. So he's talking about this unifying effort, and he says that is conduct worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, the book of Philippians is a book with heavy emphasis on Christian unity. See, Christ then, if you read right after our text in Philippians 2, Christ is presented as our model of humility that makes unity possible. He wasn't in it for his thing. He was in it for our thing. And that translated that no matter what men did to him, no matter what they put him through, it was still humility. It was still the salvation of humanity. And the whole idea of being promoted has to do with a call to every single believer in the local congregation, and in our case, under the fellowship banner, that we function with oneness of purpose, oneness of attitude, goal, and labor. 
And as Paul writes this, he mentions two ladies associated with this church. And he calls them out on it because they were not getting along well. And listen to what he says in Philippians 4, 2. I implore Euodia and I implore... uh, That's a name there. Don't name your kid that one. Say something. To be of the same mind in the Lord. These two women obviously were at odds over something enough that Paul calls them out on it. I wonder whose names could be put into those places today. So let me then secondly consider where division prevails. So Jesus lays before us this biblical principle. And it's in the Matthew 12, 25 that I read. Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Every city or house divided against itself will not stand. Okay, there's no in-between room on that. This is a principle. The bloodiest battle in the history of America came from within as we suffered a civil war. 1861 to 1865, Americans fought each other on the same battlefield. Bloodiest war in American history was the one that was fought from within. In the Old Testament of the Bible, King Solomon had inherited the kingdom from his father. At the end, the result was a kingdom that was split And the called people of God fought one another and were no longer of singleness of mind and singleness of purpose. Jesus says if a kingdom or a city or a household is divided, it will not stand, it will crumble. So I want to bring two areas this morning, two particular places that we must not allow division to prevail. The first of those is within the church. The Bible is a book to the church, first and foremost. Now let's remember Paul's words to this same church that we've been highlighting in Philippians. And in Philippians 2.14, he says, Do all things without complaining and disputing. Okay? All things. He didn't say just some things or the preferable things, but do all... In other words, this, this is our, our mindset that when we set out as a church... We're going to do the best we can without complaining and disputing becoming a formidable problem. But once the members of a church turn to disputing to, to solve the problems, more problems come. There's no way around it. The majority of what we deal with in the ministry is problems, people problems, among each other. And you have to be very careful, and this is something you... Even you think you got it, you get sucked into it. But people know how to bait you and bring you in. And, and it, it's, a, it's a tough business, man, trying to stay as a mediator and not jump over here out of preference or bias or prejudice or they sounded more compelling than they did uh, because th- this is a, a strategy of hell is to create this environment within of all these tension points. A church divided... A ministry divided cannot stand. In other words, it will not flourish. Now, there's always room for complaining. You don't have to be spiritual to complain. 
But complaining does not solve any problems. It only makes the problems worse. And complaining is an age-old topic. This was the failure of an entire generation of God's people. And when we're talking about complaining, I don't mean you just happen to have a, a little beef, you let off some steam and you went on. That's not what I'm talking about. I want you to see this generation of Israelites because it called it murmuring. There was something entrenched in their spirit that was wrong. That their reaction to everything was just this offspring of of complaining and murmuring. And there was never a a point of trying to resolve or make right. It was that this is what I'm talking about. So here's this generation of God's people in the Old Testament. Every time they met an obstacle... Or every decision their leader made that maybe made them have to step out in faith because they really didn't want to. They would resort to complaining and murmuring. And it was their ultimate failure and undoing. Paul speaks about this generation to the Corinthians. And he says that they are an example of what not to be. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 10. Do not complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now you can read that whole chapter. He talks about all the failures of that generation, but one of them was right here. They always resorted to this mode of complaining and murmuring. It was like their default mode that they went into, and it was very destructive, and ultimately they were destroyed by it. They never fulfilled their purpose in God, but died in that wretched wilderness that was a living hell to them. They died in it. They lived a dried up, purposeless existence because of their perpetual complaining. Galatians chapter 5 verse 15. If you bite and devour one another, beware that you be not consumed of one another. Biting and devouring. Think about the imagery there. And in every group, there is a chief complainer. And this is one of the ways you can help to snuff this stuff out. Whenever you find an agenda, there's somebody, you know what they found out in these riots, the Black Lives Matter riots, is what the police have been trained to do. There's only a couple of them in there that are the leaders, that are the ones driving it. So they're trained to try to lock in and find. And once they find them, they tear them out of there and and it squelches the whole thing. That's true in the church. You'll have your chief complainers. They'll offer up the topics of complaining for the day. Our complaining session today will be. And at some point, if this is allowed to continue, it creates division that begins to hamper what God wants to do. And therefore, we must not allow division to prevail within the church. Second area you must not allow division to prevail is within your home. This is going to get a little personal for you. But two of the greatest division points in homes between a husband and a wife deal with money and children. Money and children. There are couples here, your greatest problem is you have major division among you. This is your problem. There are men that have backed off trying to lead your home because you don't want to get your wife upset. (laughs) 
In our text, he says, every house divided against itself will not stand. Every house. Some of you are split right down the middle on the money issue. Where it's going to be spent, how much is going to be given. Major tension point here. You're split down the middle on how to go about disciplining your child. And let me tell you, the greatest trial you're going to go through to some degree or measure is when you have to discipline one of your children. It's not easy. And let me say, if your child knows you're split, they will play you against each other and manipulate. And guess what? They will always end up getting what they want because they know how to work the system. Because they see that mom and dad are split on this. And trust me, any manipulating child that doesn't have anything spiritual going on in their lives will play that card. The resolve for this, ladies aren't going to like this, but the resolve is in the word of God. Let me say everything I'm going to say before you throw a tomato at me. <laughs> Ephesians 5, 22 through 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, I give men counsel on their homes. They'll come to me, and they're not asking marriage counseling. They're, not, they're just asking the situation in their home, and I will give them what I think about it. And many of them never implement it. And the reason they never implement it is because they're afraid of the wrath of their wives. It's true. I'm going to go Donald Trump on you. It's true. It's true. <laughs> Afraid of the wrath of their wives. So the Bible says in 1 Peter 3, 3 through 6. Okay, this is speaking to the women. Put down the tomatoes. I'm not done yet. I have a little more. I'm going to help you out here. Don't worry. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging your hair, wearing gold, putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit. Do you know that a gentle and a quiet spirit in a woman gets a lot accomplished with a man? Just giving you a piece of advice. Which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and no, you don't have to call us Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Now, I realize that he may have a bad track record, but listen, dear, you can get counseling too. You can get help. And you know what I tell ladies? Or guys, but more ladies than guys. When they come and they have this situation in their home and, and they're being counseled in this way and they just want to get it there and clobber him in the head and beat him up and tear his pants and, and, and just feel good about themselves. And just trump him in everything. 
But he won't come. Well, then guess what? You come for counseling and tell him, I'm going to pastor and I'm telling him you. It'll work the majority of the time. I realize what you're dealing with in some cases. And I do realize that a great problem is men that will not be the priests of their homes and make the hard decisions and be responsible with the money and get the mind of God for the discipline of their children. But let me say this. I'm going to have to leave you to work this out. You better resolve the division of your home. Otherwise, your home will crumble and your children are going to suffer immensely. You better resolve Conflict of your home. Emphasis added. That's what the silence is for. So let's talk about making unity our goal. Making unity our goal. You know when unity will happen? When people decide to make it happen. The problem is self-will and pride and spiritual immaturity. In our text, Paul gives us the recipe for unity. Philippians 2, 3 and 4. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves. Let each of you look out not only for your own interest, but also the interests of others. I realize that sounds good and it flows well coming through a sermon and and I know in real life and every day when the stuff's hitting the fan and the emotions are raging and you're ticked off. Uh, uh, but you got to stop for a second because this is powerful, timeless counsel. Here's a recipe for unity. and It's going to require some serious humility. And here is the problem pinpointed in a nutshell. Wherever you find division... You're going to find self-seeking, self-will, self-interest, and pride. Anytime that two or more people are on the road of division in their relationship or a husband and a wife in their home, the issue is not just disagreement. Because the Bible already gives us what we need. At the end of the day, somebody's got to back off, back down, get some counsel, be a Christian about it, right? I mean, what is this nonsense that you've gone a week or two and you've hardly said a word to each other and you live under the same roof? Are you serious? Oh, it does exist here. <laughs> Somebody's got to give. It also comes down to what you're focusing on. Philippians 4, 8, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report. If there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. You have to discipline your life to focus on the good report, the good things. Human nature is to fixate upon and point out all of the negative and this approach will always bring unhealthy pockets of division to the church and to your home. It's like Pastor Stevens always says, if you're going to come with a problem, you better also come with a solution. I learned that early on. 
Don't go in and just lay on his desk this massive problem in the church and just look at him. It's this, this, and this, but what I propose and what I think, and you lay it out there, and whether what you're saying is hogwash and gibberish, at least you gave him something. It's easy to be negative. It's easy to see. You don't have to have a spiritual bone in your body to point out something negative. There's plenty of things you can find wrong. And guess what? In a church this size, there will always be things wrong. And if, if your utopian world, when I say that, this perfect world you created in your mind, it's all just going to be beautiful one day and we're all just going to live happily ever after and ride off into the sunset. <laughs> Sadly mistaken. I want to interview some of the couples that are still in their first year of marriage and, and the rest of the story and give you a reality of what we're really dealing with. But there's a lot of good things. There's a lot of positive things. And personally, and, and this is just the way I feel, you know, if, if Pastor Stevens is vexed about stuff, if things have got his mind really boggled and problems in the church, I like to always come in and give him a victory report about a ministry, something God's doing in somebody's life. And, and that's, that's just to, to help because I need that sometimes when I am boggled and frustrated and somebody comes along and gives me a victory report, sets me free. Ultimately, unity comes down to Christ-likeness, being like Jesus. And this is the ultimate example that's surrounding the text. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. So let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God did not consider robbery to be equal with God. In other words, he was God. He could have, in all of his glory, been manifest to men. But he made himself of no reputation. He took the form of a bondservant, came in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. He says, let that mind be in you. That's the ultimate example of all examples is Jesus Christ. Uh, that's who we're trying to be like. What would Jesus do? Well, don't just wear it. You better do it. I'll cut that thing off your wrist and throw it at your feet. WWJD. Christ didn't think of himself, but he thought of others. And the Bible says he humbled himself. Proverbs 22.10, cast out the scoffer. Contention will leave. Yes, strife and reproach will cease. Proverbs 26.20, where there is no wood, the fire goes out. Where there is no talebearer, strife ceases. Once you get rid of the perpetrator's division stops. All the tension points in ministry, all of a sudden they stop. Now, if you're seeing this and you're, you're, you're just finding yourself in this kind of responsive mode, not sure, you're getting caught up in people's little, whoa, 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 hold on a second. I guarantee you it's not everybody. Somebody's behind this agenda. Figure it out. Deal with them and we can get back to the peace of God. Hmm. That's what we got to deal with in marriage. Somebody here or both parties are just not being Christian about this. 
cannot fight fire with fire. Someone has to be the Christian, the peacemaker, the one that is contending for the big picture and not just how does it affect me. Amen. United we stand. Divided we fall. Fulfill my joy, being like-minded, having the same love, one accord, one mind. Jesus said, every kingdom divided against itself will be brought to desolation. Every city or house divided against itself will not stand. So we have to resolve whatever the resolve needs to be. We have to. Otherwise, there's too many people, too many homes, too many ministries that will suffer. So I present it to you. Because you're the church. That we can allow this to be our own mantra. United we stand. Divided we fall. Let's bow our heads together. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed as we are opening our hearts. The Spirit of God that is helping us, ministering. You're here this morning. And you're not right with God. Here's your greatest need in life. People think, well, I need to make more money. I need to get more education. I need to find this, find that. No, no, no. You need Jesus Christ. That's what you need. You want resolve in your life. You want peace in your life. You want deliverance from all sorts of addiction. You want to deal with your anger, your bitterness, your hatred. You want the wounds of your past that have been propagated by somebody violating you. You want them. It's through Jesus Christ. It's through Jesus Christ. And you're here this morning and you're not right with God. God is waiting on you today. The Bible paints a picture that during a time of a service like this, it's almost like all of heaven just stands still and watches because... The Bible says once somebody responds and turns to Jesus, all heaven rejoices. So it's almost like they're all just standing there watching. God knows who's who's who here. God knows whose heart's right, whose heart's not right. He knows. But if you'll be honest today, honest with God, honest with yourself, you know what? I'm not right with God. I'm a sinner. I'm living a sinner's life. But you recognize it's it's a bad deal, man. The devil baited and hooked you and he's and you're like, man, this this is what life's all about. No, it isn't I'm telling you the way life is meant to be. It's through Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying if you come and pray that all of your problems will all of a sudden disappear. But I will say you will have a God in your life now that will change the way you view your problems, that will give you the upper hand. You'll be forgiven of your sins. Addictions can be broken. And you will be on the road to restoration, to recovery, to newness of life. And this is what you need, forgiveness of sins. And you're here and you're not right with God. But you recognize I'm not right, but I want to get right today. And if that's you, being totally honest, I want you just to lift your hand up so I can see it. You know what? That's me. I need you to pray with me. I need you to lead me to Jesus Christ. I'm not right, but I want to get right today. Will you pray with me? Who would that be? God's dealing with you. All across this place, you're ready to surrender. You're ready to give it all to Christ. We're not asking you to join a religion or say some creed. Just a simple prayer. Acknowledging our sin before a holy God. and Accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He said, that's where I'm at. That's what I need. Would you pray with me? 
Lift your hand up. All across this place, God's dealing with you. Not right with God. I'm ready to get right today. Would you pray with me? Lift your hand up. Very quickly. Put it up. Once I see it, you can put it right back down. You know, I'm not right. I'm ready to get right today. Would you pray with me? Would you lead me to Jesus Christ? Uh, I would like to say a prayer and lead you to Christ today. Anybody here, you'd say, that's me. Lift your hand up. God's dealing with you. You may be backslidden. No more of a tormenting place in life than to know the truth, having lived it and not living it today. But God's calling you. He'll receive you just as you are. He's not going to hold this over your head. He's going to forgive you today, but you've got to come clean and right with God. I'm ready today. Pray with me. Lift your hand up. God's dealing with you all across this place. God's dealing with you. I remember sitting in a service like this years ago, and I felt like I was the only one, like the preacher was only talking to me. No, that's God. All of God's attention on you. That's not something to be afraid of. God and his love is drawing you. That's what that is. And I remember responding, and I'm so glad because when I responded and all my friends went down and all my pride was put aside, oh, man, God met with me. I was broken. It was wonderful. You're here, not right, ready to get right today. Lift your hand up. God's dealing with you very quickly. Very clear call. You understand what I'm saying? Are you ready to get right with Jesus Christ or come back from your backslidings? God will receive you. Who would that be? God's dealing with you. Lift your hand up all across this assembly. From left to right. Okay, listen to me, church. I think it was a pretty clear sermon this morning. And, you know, this is something we're going to have to deal with from now till Jesus comes back. This isn't something that is some abnormal thing that, oh, a church would actually have division. Oh, families that are Christian. Yeah, of course. We live in a body of flesh. We deal with the devil. There's all sorts of different things that go into this. But at the end of the day, the Bible counsels us on how to deal with it, how to make it right. Maybe you're caught up in the middle of, and maybe God's even opening your eyes. You didn't realize you're caught up in the middle of a campaign that's causing division in maybe a ministry you're in or a campaign that's causing division among a group of people or could be a lot of things, or even a campaign against your own pastor. But God's opening your eyes today saying, whoa, 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 whoa. You're going to come to this altar and just repent and get it right, and then whoever's leading that campaign, you're going to go and confront them. That's not right. We're not following this anymore. We're not talking like this anymore. We're not going there anymore. Maybe it's in your home. Major division. In your marriage. The two leading candidates are usually money and children. There's others for sure. But God's showing you. You know what? That that home's going to crumble. A husband cannot be terrified of dealing th- with things in his home or making decisions because his wife's going to totally manifest. He can, you cannot hold that over him, honey. You cannot hold that over him. That is not a meek in a quiet spirit. And when it's just meek and quiet, it doesn't mean you never say anything because my wife is one of the greatest inputs into my life, but she knows how to go about it. And I value her input. But some of you, you're so uptight. Your home is so... And, and I realize that 
Sir, you, you may be the biggest problem in your home. You're not taking responsibility. And you're not dealing with things appropriately. And you're not making wise money decisions. You've got a track record. It's not up to me to work that out for you. It's up to me to tell you a home divided will not stand. That's the issue. How you work that out, whether you need counseling, just repent and get it right, come to conclude, I don't know. There's a lot of ways you can go, but I want you to know a house divided will not stand. So there's a lot been said. Our example is Jesus Christ. That's what we're shooting for. We're going to open these altars. If there's someone here that you don't know that you can stand and talk to them before you come to the altar, take time. Otherwise, these altars are open. We want to come. Clear what we're responding to. And the thing is that this is something we'll have to deal with from now until Jesus comes back. It's just human nature. It's our default mode. But we don't want to get in the habit of making excuses for this or or feeling somehow justified because they did this and they said, no, 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 the Bible doesn't give us that option. Do Do you see that when you read the Bible? It doesn't give us that option. It requires us to forgive, let go, resolve, make right. That's that's the only place it leads us again and again. If you've created a theology that allows you to embrace something otherwise, it's wrong. God will help you today. I'm telling you, some of you, your home is such a tension point. Some guys, you'll, you'll, you'll work overtime just to stay away from it. I know that sounds preposterous because I love going to my house every day. I love walking in the door of my house, seeing my wife, seeing my children, and, and just being a part of that. For some of you, 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 you run from it. Can I get more ministry so I can be away more? You're not dealing with it. But if you'll deal with your home today, I'm telling you, you'll be set free. Your home will be set free, but you've dug your heels in. Your issues are there, and you're, you're going to press it through. And I realize that for me just to say women need to submit to their husband, I know that leaves a lot aloof. I, I realize that. But you've got to start there. You're not going to get anywhere if you don't start there. If you've gotten away from that, you need to get back to it. And then out of that will flow wisdom and ability that will help you in your home. But you can't let your temperament be this over-the-top, in-your-face, manifesting, just slinging words around. God help us. I'm saying these things to help you. Because God wants so much more for you. He wants so much more for your ministry, your calling, our church. And and I'm not sounding any alarms. This this sermon is not based upon anything that I think is out of control or out of the ordinary. No, it's just an inspiration I got reading my Bible one morning that I thought this would preach really good. But I know because we're human beings, I know that it's landing blows. I know that it's ministering. God, I thank you today for your faithful word. I thank you for the example of Jesus Christ. Lord, that we would follow this, Lord, that we would make it our heart's desire. Be as Christ, to be of this mind. God, we put aside all bias and prejudice, pride. 
God, help us to have the virtue comes from you. Lord, bring a mending of hearts together today. God, you shine your light upon those that maybe are starting fires and have agendas. You shine your light on them today, God. Bring repentance. Bring renewal. Bring restoration. Let me say this. Let me say this. It's in my heart to say. Some of you, it's not that you're being wicked or divisive necessarily as if you've plotted it in your mind. It's just who you are and you have to recognize it. It's a, it's a real flaw in your character, maybe from your upbringing, things that got in you. And you have to stop and say, wait a second. The devil's using me as a divisive. And, and it's not that your heart's all jacked up, but, but you're not catching and seeing that, you know, what? this is something in me that I have to get a hold of and stop making excuses for and deal with. And God will set you free. You'll be a radically different person. Radically different. I realize we come from all manner of backgrounds and things that have happened to us and things people have done to us. And I know it can it can produce things in us. But what I hope is that the Word of God can be a mirror today to your life. And it's like when you were in adolescence and you were, you know, just hitting puberty and beyond and, and you look in the mirror and this big old zit. Oh, you didn't want to see it. You wanted to cover it. And you did everything you could to make it go away. After a while, you know, you kind of get used to it. It's just a part of your face. We start getting used to who we are. God's mirror doesn't reveal the same. Or we've found ways to cover it instead of deal with it. God will help you today. I want you to stand to your feet right at the altar. We need to make a declaration to Jesus today. I know what I'm saying. One sermon doesn't change everything. I I get that. But it can be a starting point. It's not like this is the first time you've ever heard this. It certainly won't be the last time. But I feel the timeliness of God here this morning. What we need to do is we need to touch heaven. We need to make up our mind. The way unity happens is you decide it's going to happen. For some of you, I know it's a tall order because you've created such a tension in your home. Your home is such a tension point. You can hardly talk civilly to each other anymore. Everything's an argument. Everything's an accusation. Or, or the other part is that, that men need to be making certain decisions or you feel the pressure of the preaching, the pressure of somebody speaking in your life, but you won't do it because you're just afraid of your wife manifesting. Well, listen, honey, you need to stop manifesting because that's not a godly virtue. You need to stop that nonsense. Repent of it and let God use you in the fashion he wants to and you will be a greater voice for your husband than you can ever imagine. So we're going to just worship God. And in your worship, you should touch heaven, confess to him what you need to confess. Touch heaven today. Lift your voices with me. Father, we thank you today. We come to you, God, bringing praise. Our hearts are open. Oh, just petition God this morning. Touch heaven. Lift your hands. Bring surrender before God. God, our hearts are open today. Let the Word of God bring purging and cleansing and sanctifying, O God.
Oh, God, have right of way today, Lord. Uh, let there be surrender at these altars, my God. Hallelujah, my Lord, my Savior, righteous King. Oh, just lift your voices. Begin to worship God today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Wonderful God and King, glory and honor and praise to you, my Savior and my King. There is none like you, O God, worthy of all praise, worthy of all glory and of all honor. Hallelujah. Thank God. Why don't we sing whatever song you have? Stay right where you're at. Just lift your voices. Sometimes you just need the presence of God. You need God's ministry to help you. That's what we're contending for. Before we close, let's sing it together. Oh, yes, lift your hands. Righteous, oh God, we thank you and worship you and honor you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank God. Amen. We are uh, praying. Cliff's wife, Jamie, her father passed away in Las Vegas. Uh, And so we need to be praying for them, praying for the situation. And let's come tonight. Let's be in the house of God. Tonight's sermon, a Christian must, dot, 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 fill in the blank. There's going to be some things that are very important. And so let's come 
Amen. Let's go rejoice and fellowship with one another today. Amen. It's the Lord's day. Let's uh, make it for him and enjoy one another. And we're back here tonight, 530 for prayer. Don't forget, if you are a Bible study leader or assistant, we need every single one to show up tonight at 5 o'clock. That will be very helpful. Let's bow our heads, dismiss. Thank God for all he's done. Uh, George Ponce, lift his voice and dismiss us today.